Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to New Break. Glad you guys are here this morning. My name is Danny. I'm the Tarasani Campus Director. I also want to say a big hello to everybody watching us on Facebook, the moms in our mom's care room, all of those of you out on the patio, and those of you tuned in throughout the week on our podcast or our YouTube channel. Wherever you're at, we're glad that you guys are tuned in this morning. Yesterday, Trunk or Treat was huge. It was super fun. I think they said 10,000 now. It's 12,000 that actually showed up. It's unbelievable. It's just the biggest thing that ever happened ever in Tierra Santa, right? Hey, so pastor's choice for costume of the night. And this one to me, I just, I just got to say it. There it is right there. They happen to be sitting right here, timid, caring, Cole. Oh, man. See, the, the thing that, that Tim gets husband of the year for is his wife is a painter. So they go as Bob Ross and a painting, and I was like, my gosh, anybody that grew up with like PBS as a kid, you know exactly who Bob Ross was. That's when the channel got turned off, right? <laughs> hey, we have been in an eight-week series called A Little Bit of Wisdom, and today uh, we're going to close that series out. Uh, we've been in the book of Proverbs. We've been looking at the life of Solomon and all about this contrast between worldly wisdom and biblical wisdom. And this week I was doing some research on wisdom and I went to probably the greatest source for wisdom. It's a verb in our home. It's the first place that my children go to uh, for wisdom. My four-year-old calls it the Goog. It's Google. That's where we get all of our wisdom at, right? And I found some things on there that maybe challenge the idea of wisdom a tad bit. The first thing I saw was this right here. Wisdom. A man can gain great wisdom from his mistakes unless he doesn't survive them, right? Anybody that's a cliff jumper is like, that's... Here we go. Wisdom. Sometimes the only difference between a budding genius and a blooming idiot is where they choose to stand. That flower is like right on the line right there. Wisdom. Now hold on. This guy sold out to yellow. He's got the yellow shirt. He's got the yellow garage. He's got the million dollar yellow sports car. But here's the wisdom part anyway. It's not measured by the choice of your car, but by whether the car fits in your garage. Failure. If at first you don't succeed, Destroy all evidence you even tried. Just blow it up. Get rid of it. And the last one right here, today is the first day of the rest of your life, but so was yesterday, and look how that turned out. Man, I've had days like that right there, right? So, in spite of all this wisdom, the question I want to talk about, and really what we're going to go after this morning is this. How do you and I foolproof our life? We've been in this series looking at Solomon and Solomon's story, and it really illustrates a high value of wisdom on one hand, and then on the other, the incredible danger of compromising our character, the weakening of our character, choosing wisdom or foolishness. And today, we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 9. In fact, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open them to Proverbs chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible this morning, you can head out to the blue tent after service. We have these NIV Bibles out there. We'd be glad to get you one. You can see the team out there and they will hook you up. But in Proverbs 9, it tells the story 
of Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly. And we're really going to be going throughout the entire morning and really contrasting wisdom and folly. It's something I think we need to look at, especially as we close out this series on what wisdom versus folly look like so we can answer the question, how do I, how do I foolproof my life? So, we'll start up in chapter 9, verse 1. Now, I'm reading this out of a different translation than the NIV, so it might be a little bit different for you. So if you just want to just follow along, kind of all says the same thing. But this is what it says here, starting verse 1. Lady Wisdom has built her house. She supported it with seven pillars. She's prepared a feast. She slaughtered her animals, poured a spiced wine, and set her table. She has sent out her servants with the invitation to come to the party. She, too, calls out from the highest point of the city. Lady Wisdom says, Whoever is young and gullible, turn in here. You're welcome in this place. Then turning to those who are naive, she says, Come in. Come, eat my bread and drink my spiced wine. Give up your gullible ways, your naive thoughts for true life. Set your course for understanding. Whoever tries to discipline a scoffer should expect a hail of insult in return. Whoever tries to correct an evildoer is likely to get hurt in the process. So do not correct a scoffer unless you are, all, unless you are ready to be hated. But correct the wise and you will be loved. Give instruction to the wise and they will become wiser. Teach upstanding people and they will learn even more. Here's... In your, if this next part, you might want to underline this, circle it, highlight it, whatever. It says, reverence for the eternal and the one true God is the beginning of wisdom. True knowledge of the Holy One is the start of understanding. Lady Wisdom says, through me your days will be lengthened and your years will be, and years will be added to your life. If you were wise, wisdom is its own reward. If you mock, if you mock it, you don't understand it. You alone will suffer the consequences. So what we see in the first part of this passage is Lady Wisdom has built her house, prepared the feast, and invited the young, the simple, and the naive to, to come to her party. And in the beginning, it talks about the seven pillars. And the seven, seven in, in biblical terms, the number is the number of perfection. So we see the lady set up her house in this mind set of perfection she wants her house full of guests and spilling over with life yet hers though is not the only invitation see there's competition on the streets another woman vibes vies for the attention of the young and the impressionable but she she too wants her house here's the deal though full of deceit and seduction and when it is death and misery join the party now let's meet Lady Folly. Compared to wisdom, the Lady Folly is rowdy and loud, naive and ignorant. She sits by the door of her house on a bench at the highest place in the city, crooning to passerbys who hurry straight to their destination. She says, whoever is young and gullible, turn in here. You're welcome in this place. Then she turns to the naive and she says this, stolen water tastes so much sweeter Bread secreted away is much more satisfying to eat. But those who pause to listen to Lady Folly do not know that death 
is at the next stop, and that her guests, her guests are walking cadavers. What I learned in this passage, right off the bat, when I look at Lady Wisdom compared to Lady Folly, is this: is that we are called, really, we are to live a life to be proactive, not reactive, in building a life of substance and meaning. We have to live proactively. We can't live just reacting to everything as it comes, just kind of living our life in kind of like the happy-go-lucky type of way. We have to live proactively. I tend to be a happy-go-lucky type person. And if I don't stick to a schedule, if I don't live my life proactively, I can definitely live in that type of reactive zone. I can live there. I can stay there. In fact, at the beginning of the year, uh, uh, the, new, the first weekend of the year I preached, and I talked about how I wanted to live a proactive life this year. And I talked about, I bought this planner called the Panda Planner. Now, the year before, I bought this massive Panda Planner, and I told everybody, I dropped it on the ground, and I said, Pastor Marcus, this one's yours because I only wrote one day in it, and I didn't do a very good job of using my Panda Planner. There's this year's Pastor Marcus because I didn't do a good job in it this year either. What I realized, though, in a proactive life is that paper is not my friend. I, I can't sit, I don't have the attention span to sit and write and write and write, but my phone, I've gone electronic, and my updates that come, and I can set alarms in my pocket that they go off 15 minutes before so I know where I have to be or what I'm supposed to be doing because for me, being proactive is, is knowing my schedule, knowing where I'm supposed to be in all things so things just don't happen to me. I just don't live reactively. I want to live proactively. I love this quote from John Maxwell. He says, I believe that everyone chooses how to approach life. If you're proactive, you focus on preparing. If you're reactive, you end up focusing on repairing. You want to take a picture of that? You can take a picture of that. It is so true. When you're proactive, you're ahead of the game. You're scheduling. You're you're preparing. If you're reactive, you're always in repair mode. You're never you're never in the planning mode. You're always in the repair mode. Now let's look at wisdom and folly. Wisdom says that it reminds us that she built her house. She set it up on seven pillars. She built and set up her house for perfection. Remember, number seven stands for perfection. But here we see Folly. Folly is an unruly woman. She sits at the door of her house, calling out to those who pass by. When I think of proactive people, I think of people who are always on the move. They've always got their stuff. They come across as they've got their stuff together. Whereas reactive people seem like they're always going from one emergency the next. They're repairing something over here and always trying to look, oh man, I've got to do this. It seems like proactive people are, and this might sting, a little less needy than reactive people. Reactive people seem to be constantly in the, in, in the cycle of emergency after emergency after emergency. And it tends to to mark their life, where their life seems to be all about them. Where the proactive person realizes that they're not the star of the story. 
the proactive person realizes this, and you and I, that we are to develop the kind of wisdom that understands how to help. Not just always needing help. We realize that living the wise life gives us the ability to continue to develop our life and the kind of wisdom that understands how to help people. Maybe the question you need to ask yourself in regards to this point is are you a giver or are you a taker? Are you a giver or are you a taker? Look at wisdom and folly here again. Wisdom. Come, eat my food and drink the wine I have mixed. Remember, she prepared the feast. She slaughtered the animals. She set up her home. She sent her servants out. She invited people to come in to her home. Lady Folly. To those who have no sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. Wisdom is prepared. Folly is not. Folly is stealing. Folly is whatever I can do to, to kind of get what's mine. I'm always about mine. Where wisdom says, hey, I have and I can give. Folly says, I don't, so I will take. And that's tough. When I think of that, that's so such a hard way to live our life. It's not where we want to be. We want to be right here. Because when you think about the life taker, the taker, they're not very inspiring. The person that's always on the take, the needy, the, the person that's always in the victim mode is not necessarily the inspiring person to be around. Do we all get in modes like that? Yes, we do. There are seasons that we do. There are seasons when things happen, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the person that's always in that mode, that always is there. When we are proactive, we're living the wise life. It's, it's inspiring. People want to be around that. And we need to be inspiring and life-giving to others. Not life-taking, life-giving. And that's really reflected in our words and our attitudes. It's reflected in the way we live our life. It's reflected in the words that we say. Or, or it's like this. There's like the checklist of are you a life-giver or a life-taker? Are you always about drama? Is something always about drama? Or do you live your life like drama-free? Are you a pessimist? Or do you try to live your life and believe the best? Half full or half empty is how you live your life. Do you have a critical spirit? This one's tough, right? Because you're like, oh, I just want to help people and make them better. But everything that comes out of your mouth is just mean. Like, you're not helping your criticizing. You're keeping people down in their hole. Like, hey, that's great, but, you know, you should do it this way. You know, it's not a spirit of correction. It's a spirit of condemning, almost. You're so critical, it comes across condemning. Or this, do, do people feel, especially when it comes to inspiring and life-giving, do people feel better or worse when you leave a room? Do they feel better or worse when you leave the room or when you're in the room? Do they want to be around you or they're like, I'm so glad they're gone. Like, we can actually feel a little bit of love in this room. Or do you have a tendency to go to the life is always at its worst? You go worst case scenario. You have like a, 
You have chicken little syndrome where the sky is always falling. There's always something that can be pointed out wrong. In fact, I found this video that really describes what it is to live the chicken little life. Welcome to the Mickey's Breakfast Jamboree. My name is William, and I'll be serving you today. You guys here on a special occasion? Well, we're here on that new Magical Gatherings family package. Got the whole Matusik clan down from Ohio. Right, guys? Say hi. Hi! Well, great. Let me tell you Mickey's specials today. We've got steak and eggs served with some home fries and Mickey waffles. Woo! I love me some steak and eggs. <laughs> Since they found mad cow disease in the U.S., I'm not taking any chances. It can live in your body for years before it ravages your brain. You're enjoying your day, everything's going your way, and along comes Debbie Downer. Always there to tell you about a new disease, a car accident or killer bees. The beggar to spare you, Debbie, please, but you can't stop Debbie. Don't be Debbie Downer, right? We all, I, I've been a Debbie Downer in my life, absolutely. But that's not inspiring and life-giving. Yeah, there are times when life is hard and things are bad and there's things going wrong that we can't deny and we can't not realize that they're real. But if it's always worst-case scenario, even in the most simplest of things, it's always worst-case scenario, it's the Debbie Downer mode. And that's not inspiring or life-giving. People don't want to be around that. It's not magnetic. And I'm not saying we all have to be this perfect, charismatic, you know, positive person all the time. But if it's always worst case scenario, it's a hard way to live. And I don't necessarily know if there's a ton of wisdom if we're always going after the worst case scenario. If Google is your main source of troubleshooting, you might have Debbie Downey. <laughs> I'm just telling you. Here it is. Look at what it says in Proverbs in 11.25. It says, a generous person will prosper. And we talk about generosity around here all the time. We want to be known as a church that's generous. But it's this second part of the verse that really speaks to an inspiring, life-giving type of life. It says, whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. We're living on that side of life. We're living in the wisdom. We're living in the inspiring life giving life, no matter the circumstances, no matter the situation that we're faced, we're always living in the wiser, biblical wisdom style of life. We will refresh others, and we too will be refreshed. But how? How do we become that person? How do we become that person? We have to choose. We have to choose. It's a choice. We have to choose to be someone who is constantly improving. We have to be someone that just doesn't settle. Sometimes it's easy to settle because things are comfortable. But we always have to be pursuing change in our life. There's, there's two things, three things, death, taxes, and change, right? Those are always going to happen, unfortunately. But Proverbs, throughout this entire book, instructs us to pursue Wisdom, that suggests action. It won't simply show up at your doorstep. We don't 
drift towards a life of change and constantly improving. Sometimes it's just going through the motions and just living. And I get it. There are moments in our life where we have no strength. We're tired. There's things going on. And this idea of constantly improving, you're like, man, I'm just trying to get through the day. Constantly improving? Man, let's just hope today is a little bit sunnier than yesterday. I don't know about my life. It can be tough. And this, I, this, this whole choosing to be someone who is constantly improving is tough. It's, it's not easy. It requires intentional action of growth. It requires us to continually be growing. Look at this contrast with wisdom and folly. Wisdom. Leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. Last week, if you were here, if not, I talked about um, how wisdom and insight should be our wingmen. They should be our co-pilots. We should walk with wisdom and insight. And that's exactly what it's saying. It says, leave your simple ways behind. Drop the cultural, like, easy type of just worldly wisdom. Drop that, and you will begin to live. Then it says, walk it out. Walk in the way of insight. Where folly, folly is unruly. It's simple. Doesn't know anything. Folly is just constantly living in that crazy cycle. What do we say crazy and insanity is? Doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over again, expecting different results. Not a whole lot of wisdom in that sermon. And it's an easy trap to get in. Insanity is an easy trap to get in. Folly is an easy trap to get in. Wisdom, growing in wisdom, continuing to be somebody who's constantly improving hard. It requires action. It's one of our values here at Newbreak. One of our core values is to make it better. We strive on a regular basis never to think that we have the silver bullet and like this is the one shot place like we are we've got the the corner on the market, we know all the answers, everything to get you to heaven. This is the perfect church. Nope. We know that we screw up. There's broken people like me that work here. We're always striving to make it better. There are tons of great churches in San Diego. And all of us should be charged, not just the church, but us people should be charged to always constantly be improving. And how do we do that? The first thing is this. We become a lifelong learner. We become a lifelong learner. And this isn't just book knowledge. It's not just filling our head with knowledge. It's, it's learning through other people. It's our experiences. It's learning through our mistakes. It's learning from other people's mistakes. In fact, Rick Warren, pastor of Saddleback Church, says this. He says, there's not enough time in life to make all the mistakes we need to learn from. Learn from others' mistakes. That's like the wisest piece of like knowledge right there. Hey, stop trying to make all the mistakes and learn from them. Don't need to learn from other people's mistakes because they're bound to make them in front of you. I will make those mistakes. We learn from others and we learn from our experiences. There's not, for the person, the, the, when we're seeking wisdom, there's no end. There's no into learning for someone who values wisdom. These are people who are always reading. They're always 
learning. They're listening to podcasts. They're studying. They're acquiring new skills. These are people that are proactive in their life. They're always on the up. They know everything that's going on. This past couple months for me have been a season of learning. I've gone to a couple different conferences where I've been challenged on like pastoral leadership and personal growth and organizational skills and it's been good. It's been fulfilling. You know, I love going to conferences like that with great speakers because they challenge us. They don't let us settle. They're constantly challenging us as pastors to be better, to get better, to make it better. In fact, one of the things that uh, uh, Pastor Mike and I were talking about is constantly for me to be developing as a speaker. We're passionate. I'm committed to it because I want to be able to, to give the Word of God to all of you. I'm committed to it to, to continue to grow so that I can give you guys the Word of God in, in, a, in, a, in an impactful type of way. In a way that just doesn't sound like I barely know what I'm talking about. I want to be able to give you something that you can take home and it can change your life because of what it says in the Scriptures. And I started taking a preaching course a couple weeks ago, 12-week preaching course um, from a guy named Terry Newhoff. He's a great speaker and a writer. And it's, it's challenging because it's making me look at myself and the errors that I do and the different ways that I talk and the different things that I say and the words that I say wrong and how I can be distracting. And it's like, man, that's hard. I don't like that. It's comfortable. And that's what being a lifelong learner is. Sometimes it can be uncomfortable because it requires us to actually get up and do something. It requires us to accept the fact that we don't have it all perfect, that we need to continue to learn. Look at how it says it here in Proverbs 9 and 18. This is wisdom, Proverbs 9. Instruct the wise, and they will be wiser still. Instruct the righteous, and they, they will add to their learning. But the fool, the fool fly, finds no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. Where is the, the court of fools best known for airing their own opinions? Facebook, right? Go on there every time, and you're like, man, I can't believe they said that. It's one of the most foolish things I've ever read in my entire life. And I love that person to death. It's funny because it's so true. Two things I know about foolish people are just being foolish in general. Foolishness never takes responsibility. It's always pushing it away. Wise people learn from their mistakes. Foolishness, foolish people, they are absolutely no way in any, any way wrong. What they said may have not been right, but they sure were not wrong, right? We all know people like that. I may not have said the right thing, but I wasn't wrong. They're never wrong. Where wise people are always How do we continue to grow? We, we continue to be lifelong learners, and we learn how to receive correction. I wanted to leave this point out. Like, nope, don't want to listen to that one. <laughs> Receiving correction is hard, right? Like, being confronted and being told hey, that's not right. You shouldn't do it that way. And, and if it comes from a critical spirit, sometimes it's really hard to hear. But if it comes from somebody we love, it's still hard to hear. And maybe sometimes the voices that we don't want to listen to that, that are giving us a correction, maybe the reason we don't like them, maybe the reason we don't want to listen to them is because they're always right 
And they're not foolish, they're wise. You're like, ah, oh, again? Like, really? Man, I wish I would keep, I'd stop making these mistakes, but I don't want to listen to him. I don't want to listen to her, but they're always right. They're wise, they have experience, and you're like, man. We have to learn to receive correction from our peers, from our kids, from people we don't like your spouse, your pastor, your accountability partner. But more than that, we have the voice of truth. We have the voice of correction that lives in us, and it's the Holy Spirit. That's our guide. That's our source of truth. That's our ultimate bar of correction is the Holy Spirit. It's that little voice that goes off, don't do that. Ooh, I wouldn't say that. That's correction that lives within us. And that's hard. Receiving correction is something that I absolutely struggle with at times. And I have throughout my life. And when I was uh, just getting out of the military, I got a job with the county of San Bernardino, which is about, uh, about two hours north of here. And I was a diesel mechanic in the Coast Guard, so I, was, I got a job as a heavy equipment mechanic for the county of San Bernardino. And I worked on all of the snow removal equipment. So I worked on dump trucks, I worked on backhoes, and front loaders and bulldozers and belly scrapers and all that stuff, right? I worked on all kinds of equipment. And one night, it was really, really busy, and I was working on the dump trucks. They were the big, like, 10-yard and 14-yard dump trucks. They were huge. And I was running them in and out of the shop. I was, like, changing oil and tires and different stuff like that, and I had a long work list. So I was jamming in the garage and the stalls, and then I was jamming out, and I kept doing it. And finally, the night supervisor, who was this guy, he was about this tall, this tall, He's a little guy. His name was Tubby. His last name was Tubbs, but he was Tubby. And uh, he was a 29-year retired Air Force Master Sergeant. Crotchety as they got. Like, this guy smoked like a chimney. I never saw him without a cigarette in his mouth. The entire shift, and we worked 10 hours. We did 10-hour shifts, and I worked second shift. And so he pulls me aside. He says, Danny, come here. I said, yes, what's going on, Tubbs? And he goes, oh, stop driving those trucks so fast in and out of the bay, you're going to crash one. And I was like, you don't know me. I know how to drive these things. I'm good. I'm paced. I'm like, I'm good. And now, I'm going to say that these trucks have backup cameras on them. I used to install them, I know. And so it was 12.15. We got off at 12.30. I was taking the last dump truck out to the line. The line is where all the parking spots are, where the trucks are ready the next morning for the crew that comes in and drives them. I take the final truck out to stall 15. This was dump truck 15. I pull it forward and jam back and boom! Eight and a half thousand dollar damage to the dump truck I backed into. Oh, I was so mad. All I heard is Tubby's voice in my head. <laughs> Slow down, you're going to crash one of those things. And now, now, now here's the problem with the dump truck. When you get nervous, it pops in and out of gear. So I hit it a couple more times just to make sure I did enough damage, right? Like, I, I want to make sure I did it well. I have to walk back to the shop and tell Tubby that I wrecked the truck. Stupid, I told you. That's all he said. And then I got ran up by my boss the next day. I was still on probation for the county. I thought I was going to get fired. I didn't. But here's the irony. I was 28 at that time. Ten years before that, a young teenager with his parents' car my dad tells me, hey, I see how fast you're driving. You better slow down. You're going to get in an accident. 
10.30 that night, I took my dad's Cadillac Seville, black, chrome, beautiful car, and dotted the middle of it in a basketball court. To say receive correction is something I struggle with. It's like a two-by-four. Boom! To the back of my head I need on a regular basis. I struggle with it. I do. I struggle with correction sometimes. I think I have it all together. And God has an amazing way of humbling me. I don't want to wreck any more cars, y'all. Like, it's already been traumatic enough. Like, my friends, I remember my friend, watching my friend, because this is before seatbelts were required. I'm a little bit older. And his face went into the windshield and his lip busted the windshield. That was a traumatic day. Wisdom and folly. <laughs> don't rebuke mockers or they will hate you. Oh, man. Rebuke the wise and they will love you. The way of the fool seems right to them. Man, I knew how to drive that truck. I knew how to drive that car. Ah, but the lot wise listen to advice. Man, that is so true. In fact, here's some bonus, bonus verses on this one because I think learning to receive correction can be hard and these might just be for me. Proverbs 28, 26. Those who trust in themselves are fools. Ah, man, that's tough. But those who walk in wisdom are kept Twelve one. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is <laughs> Proverbs twenty eight twenty six is my left eyelid tattoo, and Proverbs twelve one shall be my left eyelid tattoo. So I remember these things. Those who trust in themselves are fools, but those who walk in wisdom are kept safe. Man, you can think of so many incidents in your life where that's been true, right? And then the next one. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. I don't know about loving discipline, but walking in discipline, walking in knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. Here's the deal. When it comes to correction, we have to be unoffendable. I love this quote from John Bevere. He says, an offended heart is the breeding ground of deception. We start getting anger and resentment and things built up in our heart when people talk to us in a way that we don't necessarily want to listen, especially when we think we're right, but it's a choice. We choose wisdom. Or we choose fault. And we recognize that God has given us the power to choose. We choose wisdom. We choose fault. It's our choice. It's there. The paths are there. But it's our choice. We have the power to choose the kind of life we want to live. If we want to continue down the path of foolishness, you're free. Free will gives you that path. You can continue to live in that life. Or you can repent and turn and begin to walk the path of wisdom because we have that choice as well. We can no longer live like a victim because there's no outside force beyond our control that's demanding us uh, how to live or how to approach life. That's not true. There's nothing there. We get to choose. We get to choose to pursue wisdom and reach it, reap its rewards or sit back in complacency and be the only one who suffers. Proverbs says this, If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. That's a tongue twister. If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you are a mocker, you alone will suffer. When I think of those two incidents, the dump truck and the Cadillac, if you're a mocker, and I mock, and I laughed at my friends in the car. Ha, ha, ha. You know, my dad said I was going to wreck. That's crazy. You know, I'm a safe driver. Right, guys? 
and all my buddies know seatbelts, big gold radio blaring, just acting the fool. The dump truck, I remember being at break and talking to another mechanic, this guy David, man, Tubby told me I needed to slow down. Tubby needs to slow down his words is what he needs to do. You alone will suffer. And those are just two incidents in my life that I could tell you about. We could be here till tomorrow with all the stuff I could tell you. But it's true. If you're a mocker, you alone will suffer. The things that we don't want to accept that are true. The things that are, are living out in our life that we're like, man, that was foolish, but I'm not going to let anybody tell me how foolish that was because I, I know better. We are the only ones that suffer. Sometimes, though, there's a ripple effect. And when we choose to mock and we choose not to walk in wisdom, others are affected as well. As we close out this series, I want to close with this question. This question is really the choice. Choice is, really, we have to make. It's the choices on a daily basis, moment by moment, relationship by relationship, job, everything in our life. Wisdom or folly? And here's the question. How are your daily choices making you look more like Because that's the wise life. That's wisdom. That's what Scripture says. That our life and the things that we're going through, the growth, the, the rough edges that are being sanded down as we walk out our relationship with Jesus Christ, the growth that we're experiencing. The Bible says sanctification, the big theological word. We're being sanctified. We're being grown. We're being stretched. We're being challenged. We're not, we're not settling for our old ways. We're looking to Scripture for truth. We're looking for those around us with their wisdom and experience that are living a life that looks like Jesus. Is that how we're choosing to live our life? Are we choosing cultural, worldly wisdom so that we can look like cultural wise people, which I don't know if that's the wisdom I want in my life? Or are we choosing biblical wisdom? Surrounding ourselves with the people that have the experience and the knowledge and have lived out the life. There'll be a day where all of us gather together. Or your family and friends will gather together in a room like this and they'll come together to celebrate your life. And they'll tell stories about who you were, what you did, how you were inspiring, how you were constantly learning, how you chose to live your life marked by Jesus. Or, it'll be a quiet room because nobody wants to speak bad of those that are not but it's a choice. A choice we have to make. Wisdom or fault. I love this quote, and I want to leave you with this. From Dallas Willard, he says this. The most important thing in your life is not what you do. It's who you become. That's what you take with you into the truth. It's not what you do. Sometimes that's our identity though, right? I'm a pastor. I'm a mechanic. I'm an engineer. I'm a whatever it is. That's not the important. It's who you become. 
Will you become wise? Or will you continue to live in poverty? The choice. Let's pray. With all eyes closed and heads bowed, I want to ask a question before we pray. How many of you would say, I need strength to not choose to live in victim or folly anymore? I need the strength to, to get out of this cycle that I've been in, this cycle of insanity and foolishness and drama and, and emergency after emergency. I need strength to turn from that and begin to seek wisdom in my life. I need to turn from what culture and the world says and begin to look to the cross for the wisdom. To open my Bible and begin to read, to seek wisdom, to seek truth, to seek to be guided in that way. If that's where you're at this morning, and you're looking for that strength, would you raise your hand? I want to pray for you, and then we'll pray. Father God, I pray for those people who raised their hands this morning, and those who didn't, because it's always hard to admit when we need correction. It's hard to admit that sometimes our life is marked by foolishness. I think of the times in my life where I've struggled with thinking I had it all together. But foolishness is what had me together. God, I want to pray for them. I want to pray that you would give them the strength. You would give them the wisdom. You would give them the insight. That you would fill them with the Holy Spirit. And that they would be guided by you to turn from folly and begin to pursue and seek wisdom. God, that Folly would no longer mark their day. Father, you would break the bondage, the chains that's held them down, and the shame and guilt and self-hatred and self-doubt and all the things that keep us in those old ways, God. That you would break the bondage. That you would release them. You would set the captive free so that they can begin to seek you, that they can begin to seek wisdom and know that true knowledge, true wisdom is found in and that's my prayer for us, all of us in the room. Strength, wisdom, insight, so that we can continue to walk out our days guided by your wisdom, your light, your direction, your word, that nothing would impede that. God, that we would not compromise, we would not, we would not wank, weaken our integrity or our character by folly, but we would continue to strengthen who we are. So on that last day, when people are gathered together, they tell stories of you and how you lived your life. So Father, we love you and we praise you. We pray this all in your Son's name. Amen.